I'm Sean Holsell, and this is What's Left. Welcome everyone, this is What's Left. Uh, I'm joined tonight by James Martin and Renee Barnett. Hello. Hey everyone. So, uh, Renee, you've got some uh, sort of breaking news. Uh, oh, well, I just happened to notice first thing this morning uh, when I woke up that there was a big headline on HuffPost that said that uh, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, has actually voted against the gerrymandering schemes in in Alabama. And what that means is that that decision will then go on to affect other states that are uh, having a dispute over gerrymandering, which is, of course, dividing up the districts in a way that benefit one party, in this case, the, the, the right side the 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 republican side so i was quite surprised and pleased uh to hear about that although i will say kind of makes me wonder whether all this talk uh about the supreme court recently and uh sort of the ethical nature of the supreme court i wonder whether or not they sort of felt pressured you know, not to make another heavy-handed right-wing decision. However, I will note that it was um, uh, it was Chief Justice John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh on the right-hand side that actually voted uh, to uh, or against the gerrymandering, along with, of course, the liberal justices, uh, but obviously missing from that is Clarence Thomas. He voted against it, which I don't know. I'm not going to say any more about Clarence Thomas, but it, uh, Well, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, when we're beginning to see it in uh, other countries as well, you know, this idea of uh, selecting the electorate to, to support a particular party or disenfranchise people, hopefully, it's a step in the right direction, but time will. Yeah, I mean, the Supreme Court is supposed to be nonpartisan, you know, but of course we know it is not. Uh, but anyhow, you know, lots of lots of stuff in the news. Uh, shout out to the people on the East Coast of the United States and, and up, up above us in Canada. Yeah, the uh, well, the the state of the uh, forest fires in Canada is really now of. Um, I mean, it already was of national concern, but is now of global concern. Uh, I'm sure anyone who's uh, listening to this will have seen the pictures by now of New York City completely surrounded in a uh, smoke-like haze. In fact. Um, a uh, relative uh, who lives not too far, uh, further north actually of New York, was describing the smell of uh, Cuban cigars. And he said, well, at least one thing that the uh, um, uh, lockdown uh, period has uh, given us is masks, because without them, 
uh, as he was saying, he, he wouldn't be able to to breathe. Um, I just want to do the, the usual stuff. Um, if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, don't forget to subscribe. Usual stuff that you hear on every... Hit that like button, channel. please. Hit the like button, everyone. <laughs> uh, subscribe and a shout out to our listeners in Canada uh, as well. Um, you know, uh, please look after Canada. And uh, in the northern United States, although I believe some of these smoke... Uh, Plumes have uh, made it as far south as Alabama. Um, if you're listening to uh, to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Alexa, or Spotify, hello to you too. Uh, we've got a very good show coming up. Sean? Absolutely. So tonight we are joined by Salem Sheikh. She spent 25 years consulting and has now turned his attention to social robots and AI. <clears throat> Uh, it's wrote a book called AI and Society and Attack for Good. And yes, we're lucky to be joined by Salem tonight. Hi, Salem. Hi. Hi. Good, good evening, everyone. Hello. Hi. Hi, Salem. We've got questions. <laughs> Bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, welcome, Salem. So, first of all, can you just explain to us what? AI is for people who may not know. It, it's obviously in the press quite a bit recently with with stuff going on globally, but just for people who might not be fully aware, what what is AI? Sure. Okay. So so thank you, Sean, and, and again thanks to to everyone on this on this program. Um, so AI is actually an umbrella term. Um, AI, just for everyone's benefit, stands for artificial intelligence, and um, we're probably going to through this conversation, probably emphasize, or at least I will, on the word artificial. Um, but it's an umbrella term which actually encompasses a number of different things. Some people may have heard of language or terms like machine language or machine learning. Um, so AI is an umbrella term that talks about or covers machine learning, uh, computer vision, uh, and something known as natural language processing or NLP. Uh, which is another acronym. Um, so that, that's the kind of broad kind of definition of what artificial intelligence kind of encompasses. Um, there's, there's other kind of definitions of it in terms of people talking about a concept of narrow AI, which is something that we're all possibly used to, although we probably don't appreciate it. The narrow AI is something that is, in some respects, embedded in many devices, our cars, our phones, uh, any any gadget or electronic gadget that many of us have, have got access to. Um, and, it's, and it's something that's quite limited in terms of being very transactional and being something that we have control over, that we typically program and we kind of train and so on. There's something called um, artificial general intelligence, which is arguably something that everyone is now beginning to worry about, particularly because of things like ChatGPT. And AGI, which is the acronym for Artificial General Intelligence, is possibly what more and more people are becoming worried about, which is the kind of terminator of, of the future. Um, the machines that are super intelligent, that don't need us to learn, that are self-learning, and effectively, potentially, according to certain people's opinions, are potentially going to take over everything. Um, 
that's a really, really quick and very, very broad explanation of AI. I hope that makes sense. And obviously, ask any other questions, please. It's a, it's a really good uh, starting point. I mean, I would have to, to say that there's trillions of life forms on this planet, but uh, the planet Mars is uh, uh, just one species that we know of so far, and it's all robotic. Um, I suppose that I'd have to ask this question as an historian, uh, really, which is it seems that you know humanity has been on this quest for laziness, yeah, trying to find gadgets to... You know, either make things easier or, you know, uh, just to allow us to become that little bit more lazy. You know, we do see people texting each other when they're sat next to each other in the front room. Um, how much do you think that we are? Do you think it's within our nature to sort of create not just um, instruments for laziness, but how much do you think it's true that we're actually on a quest to create a new form of slave? Um, so, so I'm... Um, so, so first of all, if, if we just, I just want to backtrack a little bit, just, just to remind everyone that we've had different types of gadgetry or technology, even, even before computers existed, that allowed us to become a bit more efficient, a bit more productive, whether that's in farming, agriculture, manufacturing, and so on. And so we've had machines throughout the um, the years, the decades, the millennia, perhaps, that have allowed us to become a bit more efficient, potentially lazier, James, to your to your point, and effectively allowing something else. Originally, it was the horse and cart. The horses typically would do a lot of labor for us in countries even today, the, the in quotes, third world countries, you do still have horses and carts and donkeys and other animals that still do certain types of things for humans but coming back to your question your point i just think that we're becoming more and more sophisticated in terms of the technologies that we have access to and i think the laziness point is a very good point i think that we are progressively becoming lazier and um, increasingly dependent on technology and i think the the younger generation, the iPad, the so-called iPad generation, or the Generation Zs, the 18 to 24-year-olds, who are today the chat GPT generations who are being affected by what's been in headline news for some time. So my, my view on some of what you just asked is that we have some very, very clever people throughout the, the decades and the centuries and so on who are coming up with smart things, smart ways of making things easier and better for all of us. And I just think that when the average person, the common person, gets access and hold of some of these things, they typically do become lazier. And um, and I think that some of these things are just uh, an unintended consequence of any kind of technologies that we've had throughout the ages. I think one thing that you're kind of touching on is the fact that socially we're not actually thinking about the effect or potentially even the damage that's being caused to our young people, our older people, and all people across our nation, our communities, and so on. I think we're beginning to give up on many things we used to previously do ourselves that we're now allowing technology, particularly AI, 
to start to take on and take over for us. And I think we have a choice in how we in the future go forward and do something about that. That's fantastic. So just to roll back a little bit, uh, you talked about artificial intelligence and the need to put the emphasis on the word artificial. Yeah. When does artificial intelligence lose that artificial part? When is it just intelligence? What sort of markers will we be looking at? So, so today, there's so so. I think um, again, I'm giving a point of view here, given given my sort of background and so on. Um, I think it's going to take many, many more years, from my perspective, for machines to become human-like intelligent. Um, so that reference I made before about AGI, um, I think is still a long way away, despite what a number of different people and personalities are, are talking about in social media and different platforms. So, so I guess that's the first point. But the second point is, um, I don't think we all ourselves still quite understand human intelligence. And I think that you know, if I come back to, and the reason for emphasizing that word artificial is because today we as humans, I think, if you look at it from a certain point of view, we're trying to create machines. If I, It kind of relates back to James's point, but we're creating machines that will do things and do more and more things for us human beings. And so we're basically creating machines that are going to increasingly mimic our capabilities. And I think to try and answer your question more completely, we have to work out how intelligent we are as humans and how much of that intelligence we want to keep for us as humans rather than give over to or worse defer to machines in a way that James kind of touched on in his previous question. So I'm not convinced that we will ever have an AI that can do many of the things that I think we all take for granted. And like I said, I'll go back to what I said already. There are lots of, in my opinion, doomsayers and people who are scaremongering and spreading a lot of fear. I think we have a long, long way to go before we get to a point, Sean, that we may have something that is intelligent like humans. Um, yeah, no. I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah, I hope that makes sense and welcome any more ads or builds that you've got on that question. Absolutely. I was yeah. going to add, I think for me that the biggest danger and the one that's not looked at in, in the media as a whole isn't isn't a robot like Terminator coming along killing us all. It is the absolute, the capital getting hold of this technology and using it to exploit people, drive people out of jobs, uh, just push people to the breadline. In, in where technology that could enrich all of our lives being used instead to generate massive amounts of profit for, for your Jeff Bezos of the world and Elon Musk. And I think that's probably the biggest danger and most sort of on the horizon. Well, the, so, the biggest danger is probably humans, um, if we're looking at it like yeah. this. And, and I, and sorry to cut no, go ahead. to you, but, but James... I'm glad you said that rather than me, because that's something I wanted to highlight, but I'm glad it's come from your side, because to me, you know, I'm, I'm effectively, potentially, depending on different people's point of view, I'm potentially part of the problem. Um, and I say that as humbly uh, and as much humility as I can. 
I, I did AI and robotics about 30 years ago now. Oh my goodness. And when I came out of university, there was no AI job for me to walk into. And at the time, I did something as which, which most people will not will probably laugh about now, but I, I did some work with um, a particular car company to actually help program what what we have in our cars, which is the wash wipe system. Okay, oh, so what what washes and and then you know cleans your screen on on your on your car window. Now this is a good 25, 30 years ago, and that was smart emerging intelligent technology wow. and i'm using that as a real example of back in the day that's how intelligent in quotes we were and that was our capacity for for showing and using that intelligence in a car and back in that day we didn't have cars as as many of us on this call might remember that were effectively computers on wheels today in my view, and I'm sure you'll agree, we almost have an iPad or whatever phone and gadget people might prefer, effectively a box and wheels, Henry mm. Ford's original definition of the car, and we've almost got um, an iPhone-like capability in our cars. I love cars. You know, recently Mercedes, BMW, all the big flagship names and the new electronic EV cars, they're all computers. And they look like a iPad or a Samsung tablet in terms of the display and technology that you sit in, almost cockpit-like, when you're the driver of a car. And there's certain types of cars that I've seen recently that are almost like a home cinema um, for the passengers at the back with cinema-like screens and that kind of technology. And it's all, by the way, embedded with AI technology. And, I'm, and I'll explain what I mean by that. AI in terms of the intelligence to accelerate the display, the visual uh, visualization, sorry, the quality of the displays, the quality of the sounds, um, uh, drowning out any background noise so you have the perfect cinema experience in a car. <laughs> um, and it again goes, but I'll go back to something that James said, and I love James's original question, you know, that, that laziness point. We're now sitting on the box of wheel, um, the box on wheel, excuse me, Henry Ford's kind of description of cars. And we've now gone from that idea from horse and carriages to now effectively a space age kind of rendition of a car that some people are lucky enough to have to drive to wherever it is that they drive to. And in the meantime, we've got, Renee, what you and James kind of started talking about, real life, natural things which are going on, which we're almost ignoring sometimes because we're overdosing on this amazing emerging technology that includes AI and and we, we're only becoming aware of it because of things like chat GPT previously we've had all this amazing technology in systems like Alexa in Siri in in iPhones and Apple watches and so on and other variations and we've not really talked about or debated 
all this amazing technology that's already become embedded in many of the systems that we all have access to. It's genuinely, in my view, only recently because of what ChatGPT has, um, has brought, that the world has suddenly realized that they can interact. And I'll I pause think, there. Go yeah, ahead, I, was, I, was, I was just going to say, I, know, uh, I think Renee wants to come in. I just want to uh, make a point, though, um, which is, you know, in the trade union movement, uh, generally, uh, whether you're uh, involved in health and safety in the workplace or uh, you're involved in negotiation, one of the key aspects, we don't call it this, but we refer to systemic risk. Um, you know, I have a phrase, prevention's better than court. Um, we risk assess, you know, we look at the um, the pitfalls of taking one argument uh, versus another. You know, we look at whether or not a workplace uh, should do something differently to, uh, to prevent. And it, it just strikes me that I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the infancy of uh, this, which uh, in a way you've, you've sort of described that we're not really in the infancy, you know, elements of this have been around for a while. We, I, I can well understand people's fears because we see some of the uh, danger, more dangerous sides of this. We don't look at, uh, I know we were talking just before we came on air, uh, about some of the social benefits of the ability of uh, lonely people, you know, uh, stemming things like Alzheimer's and the mental health uh, issues that are associated with loneliness. You know, we don't talk about some of the positive things. But what we do see are things like deep fakes. Uh, we see mm. now increasingly media reliant on, yes, chat, G, uh, chat CPT, uh, GPT, whatever, GPT, uh, GPT even, um, and other such things in generating news stories. And there is an increasing element in what we've uh, looked at recently in our social structures, social media, for example, that are we actually genuinely trustful of the person we're meant to be interacting with? Is the news story actually produced genuinely? Because we see it, um, and this is going to break YouTube, but I'm going to mention it, we see it from everything from porn right the way through to now artwork. And I think that yeah. just before these chatbots and, and other such things, there was this, you know, art, uh, you know, AI-generated art and whatever else. I know it still has struggles depicting human beings, but, um, you know, so it, you can understand why uh, perhaps Absolutely. there's a fear uh, with this. Uh, sorry. I, I just, no, no, I, I want to... You just reminded me of... So, so this morning... Uh, on, on normal national TV, both on the BBC, BBC One in the UK, and then ITV One in the UK, um, at different times this morning, they were talking about AI. And on the BBC, which is what I ended up watching, there was a conversation about, James, the point you just made about the fear, the control, or the lack of. And there were references to the need for things like ethical AI, responsible AI and doing some level of um, or introducing, excuse me, some level of, in quotes, guardrails. Now, a really interesting point was made by, by um, one of the presenters, I think it was, um, about the dark web and the internet. And what struck me is, is the point, James, you kind of touched on previously, which is if we look at any kind of technology or anything that allows us to 
move forward, whether that's technology related or otherwise. I think humans will always find a way to bypass any guardrails or checks and balances uh, or ethical kind of considerations and uh, policies and so on that that might kind of potentially prevent them. And and I think that the real issue that I think we're really talking about today, even though we're talking about you know a vision for the future and maybe you know where AI fits into it, it's actually people. It's 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 common normal standard human beings. And I think you know um, Sean, you you touched on Jeff Bezos as a as a good example. You know, I, I kind of want to take one step back and um, I, I did something a couple of months ago when ChatGPT first kind of came out and I created an imaginary, I created an article on one of the social media platforms and it was an imaginary debate between George Orwell, who wrote 1984, and Aldous Huxley, who wrote the book A Brave New World, okay, and I'm, I'm glad that, um, that's exactly the reaction that I was and the smile that I was looking for. So we had these two um, perspectives, let's say, of what the future might look like. You know, something slightly dark and bleak, perhaps, in the 1984 kind of rendition. And then arguably the opposite of that, but in my opinion, actually quite realistic in terms of where we are today because of the laziness point, James, that you touched on before, right at the beginning. Alan, and sorry, was... to, go sorry on, go ahead. over you, because you, you, what you've just uh, essentially said for, for our listeners, or m maybe it's just the way my mind works, is sure. uh, you've essentially just described a form of immortality. You, you, you know, here are these voices, you know, uh, Eric Blair, George Orwell, in other words, is suddenly alive, perhaps talking to perhaps uh, Albus Huxley, and others. Um, I wonder how long it will be before museums have an interactive display to speak to the author. Sorry, uh, Renee's been trying to get in for uh, just course. a few minutes. Sorry, so I usually don't have any problem because I normally just butt right in, but I'm trying to be polite for our guest today. <laughs> um, Sorry, Renee. You know, my that, that's oh, no problem. My uh, exposure, you know, to this type of AI that we're talking about, uh, particularly chat uh, GPT I'm you know very limited exposure to but not too long ago several months ago a cog a colleague of mine uh, introduced me to chat GPT and um, and uh, part of my job uh, for uh, a, a company that I that I do some work for um, I have to write articles and so that night uh, he was showing me how to do the chat GPT and I ended up like sitting up all night and I wrote, wrote uh, supposedly, I, I wrote like maybe 50 or more articles and then went back and kind of edited them a little bit and I was thinking, this is great. This is going to make my job so easy. And then I start thinking about it and I thought, ooh, I, I don't know if I like this and um, started thinking about it. Now, someone has to program whatever we're 
you know, what, whatever we're talking about, whatever uh, platform we're talking about. So someone who has their own views, who has their own biases, programmed uh, this thing. So when I'm writing an article or when I'm asking it to write an article, naturally or unnaturally, there will be a that person's, that programmer's particular slant. And so that sort of like blew it for me. Uh, so like, uh, how I, do you get I, around that? Yeah. So I, you just remind me of something that I probably should have used as part of the, the explanation to Sean's starting question. Um, and it was in a, a recent um, article uh, that I read just, just today. Um, when I was talking about AI and trying to explain some aspects of it, um, it's almost like, you know, for, for an AI system to learn, in quotes, okay, you almost have to tell it. And, and the example in this article was about, about dogs, okay? And the whole idea of and the explanation of how AI works was about teaching um, by reinforcement learning, which is a particular technique in AI, uh, a machine, an AI, to actually learn the difference between a good dog versus a bad dog, um, you, you effectively have to train and give examples of good and bad to the AI in order for it to begin to understand what the difference is. And obviously, that requires lots and lots of training and learning, which ultimately we go through when we're very, very young children all the way through to you know whatever age we get to. So we're constantly yes. reinforcing, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Can I can I just put in please, real quick? Please, let me course. ask you a, a a question to see if if this is um, at all correct. So it, when I did the articles, or you know, basically I gave the instruction to Chat GPT to write a college level article on this subject, including this area uh, and then uh, and and cite sources so i get these articles could i then also affect the article's slant like could i say from a liberal point of view or from a right-wing point of view or can i say from a neutral point of view so so the short answer is yes but, but again, it also depends on what you've already called out yourself, which is how that AI has been programmed. So if, if the AI is kind of taught to understand the difference between liberal versus conservative versus neutral, to, to your point, then yes, it, it might be able to do that. Obviously, it then depends on the learning and the training that we kind of very quickly touched on. I want to come back a little bit because there's there's a concept that we may or may not understand, which is um, something called large language models or LLMs. And that's, strictly speaking, what ChatGPT is built on. And when I was introducing what AI is, and I suggest it's an umbrella term, large language models are literally a fraction of what AI can do. And so... I think that the reality is 
given that AI is such a large space and domain of different topics and, and so on, there's different levels of capability and maturity in and around that whole space that we're kind of beginning to talk about. And obviously today, all we know about, <laughs> okay, from a public citizen perspective is this thing called ChatGPT. There's lots of other things which are going on in lots of other countries, um, you know, whether it's in China, Russia, whatever, whatever states or countries that we might be talking about. And I think the main point is to just round off the point is that at the moment, there isn't a unilateral approach, policy, government, government policy and so on or mechanism to govern and, and do the guardrails point that I mentioned. You know, every single country has so far today chosen to go off and do things themselves, tactically, strategically, and or otherwise. Um, the very, very last point on this, only because of the, the relevance to this program in the morning, Rishi Sunat, the UK Prime Minister, is on his way to, the, to Washington, the US, and proudly in the process of presenting a three-point plan because he wants the UK to become a leader on AI safety. And the three-point plan includes hosting an international AI summit in London later this year in autumn, setting up a global watchdog in AI, the guardrails point, and an ambition for the UK to become the CERN for AI, so Swiss CERN, as a, from a research body point of view, that's his three-point safety plan for the UK. Very, very high level, really, really simple, really, really basic. And that just, to me, demonstrates again that you've got leaders around the whole world who are coming up with their own strap lines, tag lines, um, vote-winning uh, things, um, and, and everyone's, everyone's, everyone's kind of pontificating about what we're going to do next. And no one is doing that collectively at the moment. Ironically, apart from the EU and the US, who are trying to do certain things collectively. The, the, the EU are uh, looking into things like, uh, I know there's been trials in Switzerland of so-called smart cities. Yeah. and um etc etc i'd just say this uh, and i'm sure wants to come in but um you know yeah. never has it been true of the case that the word artificial and intelligent uh should be in a sentence always with rishi sunak but sorry sure. <laughs> i was getting ready to say well how long will he actually be there but but i digress so let's <laughs> what's and this is more a comment on on what we've been talking about but it's really interesting to me. I, I was I used to sit on the European Transport Workers Federation, representing the union across Europe. And sort of 10 years ago, we saw driverless buses coming down the line. We were raising the flag, this is going to cost jobs. And at that point, and in many sectors, the docks, a lot of, a lot of sectors, and we were getting told, you're all Luddites, don't worry about it, you've got to move with the times. Now AI seemingly has come for sort of them accountancy jobs, coding jobs, the, the sort the of white collar press. Absolutely. The people who've got access to power in the media, there's a massive outrage now and we need to roll it back a little bit and slow down. I think it's just interesting when 
when them chickens have come home to roost at a different <laughs> area, they thought that suddenly it's, it's all panic stations and waving the white flag were, where when it was working class sort of traditional blue collar jobs that were at risk, it was just shut up and get on with it. It's an interesting. Well, I mean, again, it ties to the point, Sean, which is if we do end up with a, um, Unintelligence, let's just say. Mm. Uh, My my question I've been burning to ask for a very long time uh, has been, how do we go about unionising? If you have this intelligence, how do we defend its rights? Does it have rights? Has anyone asked any AI systems what rights it it, it thinks (laughs) it should have? Um, I'm so, sure. <laughs> so that that that's a fantastic point, James, that that you just made, and and likewise, Sean, what you start to cover, you know, it's it is interesting, maybe even I was going to say moronic, but maybe ironic is is politically correct. Um, that that it's now because of the white collar workers being under threat that we've got the reactions that you just highlighted. But but James, if I come back to what you just said there. There are actually, there's a huge amount of research going on right now, ironically, about robot rights. And before the show, when we were warming up and having our initial conversations, I talked about very loosely the idea of social robots. And again, just like with the term AI, there's lots of different types of robots. And I think, again, the average person might think of a robot as being something in an assembly line uh, or factory or uh, a warehouse and so on. Um, If anyone follows Elon Musk, then they'll see that he and any other car company has lots and lots of sophisticated robots, um, industrial robots doing lots of different things. But my point is, is just like AI, robots are also categorized or classified in lots of different ways. And the one that I'm personally interested in, which I think is going to shock even more people, uh, is this idea of social robots. And and simply put, social robots, again, the word is social, and that's the underline in in this particular phrase. These are robots that are meant to interact socially with, with one another, and hopefully with us as humans as well. And so, James, if I come back to part of your question, there are studies going on right now around how do you police and regulate and you use the word unionize, how do you do all those kinds of things with those social robots in mind? And probably more importantly, in my view, the near short to medium term future, I think, in the next decade or so is going to be about the social robots that are in our homes that might actually be helping us with cleaning up in the kitchen um, that might include a robot type delivery man or, or alternative to a postman that turns up at your doorstep, gives you your post. And if, 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 um, if, if you invite them in, might actually be able to do some housework for you. Um, that there's a future there where people are now thinking about the rights of the robot. And, and you talked about slavery at the beginning. Yeah, you know, so there's an irony. With that, actually, Simon, so you know, uh, 
what uh, what we uh, essentially my view is unless um I, i'm just going to use the word machinery and by the yes. way when i think of robots i think of commander data from the enterprise but, uh, <laughs> i should say I, i've noted the uh, your website as uh, something integrating the enterprise we can talk about star trek later maybe but um you know, until uh, machinery, um, shall we say, this intelligent machinery, mm. whether we call it robotics or whatever mm. we do, uh, until they're in a wage and have rights, I can't do anything other than refer to them as slaves because ultimately they are. They're doing tasks for no cost um, for us. We do know that uh, there is a potential of unionizing because when machinery is stressed, it stops working. Uh, unlike humans, um, oh. unless they're unionised. Um, so, it, yeah, uh, you know, it really does bring us back to the to the slavery point. Can uh, and it and it absolutely does. Which which I think I still think that's that's a great question that you started with because I think there's an irony which actually touches a little bit on Sean's point about the blue collar versus white collar. You know, there's almost and just keep with me here for a second. That there's there's a potential future here where the blue collar white collar um, label for humans could potentially transcend to these intelligent machines, James, that you're touching on. And there's an interesting dilemma here, I think, which is who is the slave and who is the slave master? And you know, at the moment. Sean, you, you touched on Jeff Bezos as, as one of the billionaire tech people, and there's many others at the moment, uh, or growing number of, of them perhaps as well. And at the moment, if I use your blue-collar, white-collar analogy, we're all potentially being held as victims maybe in some way by the people who've got the money and power and the capability to use this technology over us. But there's a flip side, isn't there, if we think of your blue-collar, white-collar analogy? Because if you then translate that to machines, intelligent machines, the way James labeled them, ironically, there could be a future where who is the slave? What is the slave? Do, do you see what I mean? Because, because ultimately, the slave could interchangeably be, ironically, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but it could potentially be either a robot or machine or human. Well, we, we essentially, I mean, you've just mentioned uh, Bezos and what we know. I mean, I, I will just say this in interest of balance and then I will go for the jugular. Um, Amazon denies using this in the UK. Uh, they have been caught in the US, but they deny it. Um, but essentially using, uh, again, intelligent algorithms to set production targets. Um, these algorithms then say you need to dismiss this individual or thereabouts, you know, you need to dismiss them because they're not as productive. And, you know, the, uh, there was a select committee of the House of Commons in the UK um, where a, uh, an MP essentially grills their head of uh, European operations with there isn't a human element in your decision-making factors anymore. You know, you are totally reliant upon an algorithm to determine someone's future. That there's, you just reminded me by what you just said there, in, in this science of social robots, uh, or something actually that's bigger than that, which is known as 
HRI, which is human ro robotic interaction. Um, there's a concept as, as part of that, which is known as human in the loop. And the idea behind that is to avoid, James, the situation that you just described. Um, we're going in a very interesting direction. And, and I realize we've got um, uh, times, times ticking. I, um, I, I, oh, sorry, Renee. You mind? I, I'm so sorry. But I was uh, I, speaking about social robots and things. I, I saw um, some sort of a, a video somewhere on a news program uh, where they had interviewed this this young young woman. She was, you know, maybe a teenager, maybe uh, a little older, but she had basically an AI boyfriend on her phone that she would interact with. Mm. And uh, she said, you know, he said nice things to her. It made her feel good. You know, he was always asking about after her health and welfare. And, you know, it, it was all really nice. And I guess, you know, part of that is a result of, you know, this electronic age that we live in, this computerized age where, as we mentioned earlier, people are interacting with each other less and less. People are becoming more confined, of course, I believe uh, contributing to that was the pandemic lockdowns, which I'm not complaining about. Um, I, I happily, uh, well, maybe not so happily, but I certainly observed them. Uh, and so did my, I, I had two 20 year olds. So I was locked down with two 20 year olds and they were amazingly wonderful. But I could see that during that time when I couldn't interact I was doing more, you know, stuff on my phone, on my, on my computer. So what is the danger, do you think, with kids and, uh, and AI sort of hmm. opting out of real life? So, so I, I, think, I think there are huge dangers in, in what you began to explain there. And, and some of that is again potentially partly because of our laziness you know again the, the point that james started off with i i think i i i read a study recently okay um and it's actually based as an american study of um people graduating from university who are um getting married and effectively because they're academics and they're professionals and they want to start a professional life going away and living away from their families and starting somewhere from scratch. And then it's not until that couple had children did they suddenly realize they don't have the infrastructure, the parents, the community that they could fall back on um, to help with the children and, and bringing up and, and doing all the good things that perhaps we, we might be used to um, from, from the, the old, the good old days. Um, I think I think we've got to a point where it's the laziness point that James made right at the beginning. I think that we are becoming more and more distracted by what we need to do as humans in our everyday and increasingly challenging times in our days and in, in each of our lives. 
and therefore deferring to this electronic gadgetry and allowing our children um, you know, to basically escape and, and be taken care of. We're almost deferring um, and absconding on, on our responsibilities. So I think there's a lot of fear. And I think, by the way, that the laziness point, again, last point on this, is that um, just imagine what we could have been doing in terms of us as humans introducing and safeguarding the, the laws, the policies, the norms that we had grown up with so that we would be safeguarding our families, our communities, our human interaction and relationships. And, and I think that's something that we're forgetting. I think we're allowing ourselves to be distracted by all this tech stuff and everything else that's going on around us. And we're forgetting, especially, and lockdown reminded us, I think, it reminded me and my family that actually when we had no electricity or gadgets that we could use, what did we do? We went back to default. We actually we actually acknowledged each other. Many of us here in the UK used to stand on our doorsteps and clap or bang pottery and and uh, pots and pans for the NHS. Um, oh, in, in Cumbria, we we do that anyway. Uh, <laughs> Sean, I realise you you probably have a question as well. Yeah, I was going to say again, and this this is a common thread across mm. many of the shows we've done. I'm not sure the the breakdown of community is so much to do with tech as it is to do with, with sort of the way the political choices society's made and, and that sort of all your values in in the crap you buy, the stuff that you buy and fill your houses with, the car you drive and, and mm. how you appear to the outside world. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of this needing community comes from and that drives people to social media and no doubt in the future to, to these sort of AI computer programs which will keep your company and talk to you. When these the political decisions that can easily be reversed, there's there's more than enough money around to make sure we don't have to to sort of go to work and flog ourselves to death for, for a very meagre wage that at the moment we can't afford to live on. And I think if, if this is done right, it, it can absolutely enrich all our lives. And I mean, we don't spend as much time working, but my, my, again, my only fear would be there isn't a political will at the moment. And this capital sort of captured a lot of the political institutions, which, which would drive, mm. drive what we, the direction we need to go in. I, I just want to, I realised we're, we're coming up to time, but I just want to, we, we never, I mean, it's, this is such a big topic, obviously, for, for all of us. And we've, we've literally scratched the surface, I'm sure. But, you know, we haven't talked about things like universal basic income to, to the indirect point that you've just made. And if I come back to your blue collar, white collar point, you know, there are countries around the world, the UK did a, a part study of this, UBI or universal basic income, is still a concept that hasn't actually in its in the trials actually not worked and, and i think that you know if we come back to sean what you just said i think we've given up and we've delegated lots of our responsibilities away to other things we've got people on social media who've got hundreds and thousands of followers none of them are friends none of them are Perhaps if they are, then I'd like to, to learn how they do that. And I'd love those kinds of friends, too. But, you know, there are people who've got all the followers in the world and yet they are alone, as, as we've kind of said. 
there will be a time where if if technology, the intelligent machines that James touched on before, really do take on more and more work, well, have we then actually moved from the agriculture information kind of um, revolution um, to the fourth industrial revolution, what, whatever we're supposed to be in now? Well, there, might... there is... A... There was yeah, a Soviet sorry. academic, uh, Kondratiev, who described various waves. Um, mm. It's well understood that we're in the sixth Kondratiev. Yeah. There's many more than them. If yeah. we extend, it was just to do with his uh, um, lifetime that he said, oh, well, I've recognized five and there's potentially a sixth. Coming. There's more, yeah. This seems to be, um, you know, the green industrial revolution, if, if we want, and perhaps, mm. yes, Leaving the so-called space age into this uh, uh, this great unknown, and I think just as the monks in monasteries were concerned about the print press uh, taking jobs, the nature of work evolves. For me, I think the the notion of community. I just really want to to mm. to emphasise at this point. It does exist in places, but it's not as common as it was. Um, we do use technology for very positive things. I can have a conversation with Renee uh, over in the States um, within seconds. Mm. Um, that keeps us together. It keeps a friendship going. So it's not a negative thing. But at the same time, as you've, uh, as you've said, uh, you have the celebration of the individual. Now, I've got 100,000 followers, or I've got 300,000, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's not bringing people together. That's essentially storing up a... John Ronson wrote a... Um, uh, I can't remember if it was a book or an article, how one tweet will destroy your life. And suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, someone who had thousands of followers was uh, hated because of the sort of pitchfork mentality that it breeds. Um so I, I think community exists. Really, you know, what the, the theme of this um, this show really has been about um, community. This could be this could be such a positive thing. You know, as I've said, in museums, you know, actually, and you'll never get the full personality, um, but you know, perhaps something interactive if people can actually bother to go to a museum and. And see stolen goods if you go to the British Museum and what have you. <laughs> um, you know, it, it could be, you know, it could help people who have um, anything ranging from ADHD perhaps to other um, uh, learning needs. Uh, you know, th- there's all sorts mm-hmm. of positives, but I think that that, you know, and sort of last point really from me um, uh, on this is um, we, I think the fear is well placed. I think the opportunity is rarely discussed because fear sells stories, hope doesn't. Um, but I think if we're going to jump into this new world, we need to understand what the risks are. That's not risks are not based on fear. Risks can be based upon hope also. You know, for example, if you if time travel uh, is invented, probably not a good idea jumping on the Titanic. Uh, for example, uh, but how exhilarating to see it, if you see what I'm saying. Uh, uh, I, and Salome, uh, you were also talking just before we came on air about uh, a furry-hatted friend. Uh, I think Sean <laughs> wants to 
Sean wants to come in and maybe you can just mm-hmm. explain that very briefly yeah, uh, to us. Yeah, Sullen was showing us a, a social, one of his social robots before that was demonstrating down in London. So do you want to talk to us a bit about that? And I think we'll probably have to get you on again, Slim, in the future to talk Absolutely. probably more about about that and maybe give us a demonstration. I want to talk I, to the robot to... next time. Yeah, no, well. listen, thank you. Thank you very much. And and I'd love to, and I'd welcome the opportunity. Um, so I, I was talking briefly about um, a particular social robot. It's actually one of the most unique social robots on, on the planet right now. Um, it's a projection-based robot. It's a social robot. Um, some of this information is on my website, and I know there's information that, that you guys have uh, on, on the show that kind of explains that. But very, very quickly, it's it's a lot more than this, but it's imagine, imagine having Alexa, as an example, with a face um, that can actually interact with you and actually hold a, a, a real conversation. That's effectively the technology that I was talking to Sean and the team about before we came on air and the robot itself is known as a a fur hat robot that's just that it just happens to be the name of the company I'm the UK partner reseller in this country and my goal is to actually bring it to schools and businesses and my priority in the way that we said right at the beginning of the, the, the program is to try and find a way for all people regular people to actually touch and feel and actually try and make sense of this stuff for themselves potential with me trying to help with that um, so that whether it's young people or older people they can directly themselves demystify some of the stuff that we've been talking about in the show so i'll i'll, I'll end there but um yeah okay. renee like you suggested would love to bring and maybe have the robot do stuff um like you suggested we will definitely, definitely have you uh, back if you would be happy to to join us. Uh, and as as ever, the hour blinking, you you miss it. Uh, Salim, um, uh, any listeners can go to ite.ai. That's the name of the uh, website. If you've been watching yeah. on YouTube, you'll have seen it um, uh, on the scroll. Uh, at the bottom. So I suppose uh, to, to wrap up, uh, you know, the usual question, what's left? Uh, I'm just reminded really from the start of the show where we were talking about forest fires and the destruction of our environment and the destruction essentially of many species around this planet. That is something that we need to be focused on. But we've just spent the past hour also perhaps talking about the emergence of one, at least one new species and that might be worth our protection too. Um, for uh, this evening, I'd just like to thank uh, uh, Sean Halsall, Rennie, Bern- uh, Rennie Barnett even, uh, and Salim Sheikh. Uh, it's been what's left, and it's been uh, good fun. So for me, I've been James Martin. I'm Sean I'm Renee Barnett. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.